Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now One of my favorite sayings about homebrewing is that beer is science that you can drink. The reason I say that is because beer in its essence is really just cooking, but there's microbiology and just all kinds of science that goes on with making beer. So on this week's episode, we have the beerologist on the show, and we're going to talk to him about science and beer this week on Homebrewing DIY. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing, gadgets, contraptions, and parts. This show covers it all. On this week's show, we're talking to Edgar Hudermeyer, and we're going to speak to him about being the beerologist. He has an amazing blog and newsletter over on Substack, and he's been writing about the relationship between science and beer and it's a great read, and so we I'm super excited to have him on the show. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewingdiy. I still have a few scrubber duckies left for anyone who gives at the $5 level. That's a $25 value. So head on over there and give today. You'll also get access to our ad-free RSS feed and you get a nice, sweet set of homebrewing DIY stickers. I'd like to announce today that I am now part of the Age of Radio podcast network. This is going to be a new relationship with a fast-growing podcast network, and I've now switched podcast hosts. That shouldn't make any changes. Hopefully, if you're listening to the show, you're listening to it in the RSS feed you were before. But that being said, very, very excited about being part of the Age of Radio podcast network. So thank you very much to Joey and the team over there for hooking me up. Another way to support the show 
is to write us a review. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com. Your five-star review is going to help other homebrewers find the show. And of course, the last way to support the show is head on over to homebrewingdiy.beer and use one of our sponsor links. So if you're doing any Christmas shopping this month, head on over and, you know, go to Adventures in Homebrewing and use our link. And you would then get a same price as you always would, but it's going to support the show because they know that we sent you. Also, Brewfather is there. And th- I want to thank all of those during the Black Friday sale that used Brewfather. It really, I, I saw a lot of, of people going to the website and clicking on the link and just excited to have that relationship as well. One last announcement I'd like to make before we jump into this week's interview. I'd like to remind everyone it is December and it is that time of year for our homebrew hack show. I want to thank everyone who's already submitted their homebrew hacks. I've been reading through them with just excitement to share with everyone. It is so cool to see all of the cool things that and hacks and tips and tricks and crazy things people have built as part of homebrewing. I, this is the part of homebrewing that I'm truly excited about. And I want to thank everyone who submitted theirs already. I'm excited to read them and share them with all of the listeners of the show. And if you'd like to share yours, remember podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. Just put in the subject line homebrew hacks, and I'll make sure we read it on the show. Very, very excited to talk and read with Evan Sherlock, the president of the Old Town Mash Paddlers, and to go through all of those different hacks. It's just one of my favorite shows. It's so fun, and I'm excited. So let's try to get everybody to get those in by next Thursday. We will be recording that that show before we kind of go on holiday break, but the show will release on the 31st of December. It will be the last show of 2020, and I think it'll be a good way to finish off such a crazy year. Well, let's jump into this week's episode where we're going to talk to Edgar Heitemar, and we're going to talk to him about being the beerologist. To welcome Edgar Heitemar. He is the biobrewer, and if anybody has done some recent reading on the internet about homebrewing right now and pretty much some scientific parts of homebrewing, chances are that you've run into one of his articles out there. And I'd like to welcome Eckerd to Homebrewing DIY. Hi, hi, Edgar. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you because I have run into a few of your articles out there. Specifically, I've read a bunch of them recently on Reddit and some other forums out there. And as I've read some of the things that you've been posting lately, I it just is a really refreshing approach to looking at homebrewing. And I'm really excited to talk to you about your process and and your brewing setup and a bit about how you got here today. So uh, let's just start there. Uh, How did you start brewing and and how did you get to where you are today? All right. Well, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. So, so yeah, as you, as you say, I'm, I'm a home brewer and, and I'm a scientist. A long, long time ago, I think, I think about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, I actually moved to the US. I did my PhD in, uh, in Ohio at um, Ohio State. And my girlfriend, now my wife, but my girlfriend at the time thought it was a great idea to give me a brew set, a beer brewing set. 
Now my background is in biology and molecular biology. I work with microbes quite a bit uh, as I did back then. And I liked beer as well. So, so my, my wife or my, my girlfriend back then thought it was a, was, a, was a great combination. So yeah, I got my first brew kit. was just you know, a couple of buckets, you know, extracts and, and hops and all that jazz. Uh, and that basically got me started. So, so I started brewing with some fellow students. And, yeah, and ever since then, I've, I've you know, kept at it. I have to say with, with ups and downs, I mean, there's been times where I wasn't, wasn't as active. But, but more recently, I've been, I've been more active in, in, in brewing again. How did I get to the newsletter, The Virologist? I really, you know... I, what I've discovered over the last couple of years and being a scientist is actually, I, I really enjoy writing. I like the creative process of doing science uh, and I like beer making. Yeah. So, so it was very natural for me to start writing about, about beer uh, and beer brewing. And as you may, as you may know, if, you know, you probably spoke with more writers than I have, but you know, writing is a lot about finding, find, finding your voice, finding what you <clears throat> like writing about the most. And for me, that turned out to be science and, and brewing. So that's, that's how the, the virologist was, uh, was started, really. So what I do, or what my aim is, is really to introduce people to the science that, that drives brewing, that drives home brewing. So, so I try to take a look into the literature of the things that are going on in, in yeast research and genetics research in plants and try to distill some interesting, interesting facts and in, interesting discoveries that could impact on brewing or that could inform brewers. So as part of that, I try to give, have conversations as well with the authors. So I go to their, I read their papers and I ask them questions about their papers just via email. And yeah, those are very sort of productive, productive ways of, sort of writing about the brewing process, but from a more scientific, scientific perspective. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I do. And that's something I want to kind of point out that I think is needed in the <coughs> brewing world is that we get a lot of, hey, here's the paper, go read the paper. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that could just read the paper, right? For example, I've, I've read some scientific papers on brewing. But there's also yeah. a place where just reading the summary is also not enough, right? When you get into a paper, you might just get the summary, but there might be things you could get out of a paper that is hidden and not really summarized in the summary. And having somebody who has a scientific background to be able to ask the types of questions I think a scientist would ask another scientist, mm -hmm. being objective, not just reading the summary and taking that for what it is. I also think that when we talk about the media and, you know, I have a podcast, so I guess I'm the media, but the idea yeah. would be you, you get a headline and maybe a little bit about the summary and hope this comes out one day, but that's pretty much what you get from the media is a very top level. And I think that the importance of having opinion from a scientific perspective when reading literature that's out there and being able to say, Hey, here's what I got from that i asked the person that wrote this this question here's the answer they came back to me with and being able to come up with different conclusions or maybe be a bit skeptical of what you're reading is it's it's to me something that i a side of science that i truly love and appreciate and mm -hmm. that's something that i think that the homebrewing world embraces in a way because of 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 who we are as homebrewers. A lot of people have engineering backgrounds, scientific backgrounds, and it's very common in this hobby. And so I, I think that that's a, a place that is very, very needed right now. And so I, I really appreciate that. 
Yeah, no, I think I think the brewing world is, is a really interesting one. I think firstly, you know, what I should point out when it comes to the sciences, at least, and, and when it comes to scientists, they, you know, they learn, they're trained to write for other scientists. So they write papers that are meant to be read and understood by other by other scientists. Of course, there's the media translating it, but as you say, you know, I think I think if you're not into brewing yourself as a, as a media person, I think it'd be very difficult to convey a message in a, in a specific way that that you know brewers would would appreciate i think the other thing i noticed when 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 you go on, on the forums and i think i think it's a wonderful thing really but at the same time you know always always intrigues me is that you know there's a lot of knowledge in the brewing world so you know you pose a question on some a place like reddit or facebook or or, or whatever social media platform you get a lot of answers and you you know you're left wondering, well, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, where is, is there any scientific background to this or is it experience? And there's a vast, vast body of, of, of experience out there for which there's no, there's no research that, that really formally demonstrates it. Uh, and I find that very intriguing. And there's oftentimes questions I'd like to answer myself. And then, you know, I find out most of the times I end up in places like Reddit where people have experience with certain, with certain problems. So yeah, so I, so I think I think I think there's a disconnect between science and homebrewing in some ways, or brewers in general. But I think it's a good one at the same time. I think if you're a researcher and you wanted to go into research on brewing processes, I think actually Reddit would be a good place for a literature <laughs> search. <laughs> it, it, it's <laughs> funny you say that because it happens all the time. You see uh, science projects will come in and try to do surveys of all the people on Reddit, trying to say, "Hey, can you fill out this survey for me?" I'm trying to get, you know, I'm building an app. They'll, they'll, they'll ask yeah. those kinds of questions too. Yeah. But, but on the other side of it, there's also a lot of dogma in homebrewing. And, and, and I bring this up all the time, specifically in this podcast, where people say that this is just the way to do it. And, <laughs> and they come up with these very elaborate reasons of why you should do them. I'll give yeah. examples like, you know, you have to cover your boil right? These are all things that you hear in homebrewing. And people have tested it, and there's both sides where some people have, have had it covered the whole time, and there's nothing wrong with the beer. And there's people that have said that, you know, swear up and down that leaving the lid on is something that's going to, you know, that I get the off flavor from, I think it's DMS or something like that. Yeah. The, the idea for me is none of this is scientifically done. Right. It's not done at a scale to where if somebody were to write a paper and, and the papers that have been written about these types of subjects have to do with the brewery level at giant scales, not at a home brewery level, which is a different scale. Sure. Yeah. And so yeah. it, it, it's it's trying to dissert. You know, if you were to take a, an approach of dogma versus scientific and kind of get in the middle there, what would you say is the approach you would take? when kind of balancing those two? Ooh, well, I, I think, I, I think there's no other way around to, to do, to do the experiments, but I think at the same time, you know, when you do the experiment experience, especially in biology, I think what biology is one of one is one of those fields where, where there's so, so many parameters and variables and, and that, that could influence your, uh, your process. I, I, I think for debates to be settled when it comes to dogma, you know, you, you basically need, you need you know, uh, very accurate descriptions and you need some sort of unifying approach 
to testing or you know testing the problem so i'm thinking the kit that we, the kit that you use for example i mean if you think about you know, how many different brewing setups there are <laughs> you know every every beer almost has its own specific setup for for making it so so i think i think it's very difficult to 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 tackle dogma you know without without doing the experiments in in a way that sort of you know rings true to those homebrewers that rings true uh, and applies to the way to the way homebrewers do it do it at home. So and yeah, that does mean you know picking a particular subject or a particular setup to do to do your experiments. But you're right. I mean, you know, looking at the literature, looking at the various papers, a lot of them do deal with industrial skill, industrial skill brewing. So so yeah, it's it's hard to get a handle of in that way. Yeah, and one that comes to mind for me is always the IBU. Right, the IBU is 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 the the every piece of brewing software is going to spit out an IBU number at you. And the reason that one always comes up for me is that the IBU was originally done by a guy in his garage with whole leaf hops on a system that was a three vessel system and nobody brews that way anymore. I mean, when was the last time anybody used whole leaf hops for anything, right? Yet that's the math that came up with the IBU. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny is that some people nail it, you know, they'll, they'll make beer and they'll be like, this is 45 IBUs. They send them out to get tested and it's, you know, somewhere in that range. Sometimes it's completely off. And so I agree when it comes to variables, there are so many variables that when you're trying to look at a, at a homebrewing scale, I, I think the closest people that come to things like that are probably the brewlosophy group. And even then, they're the first ones to raise their hand and say, hey, this is one data point, and I wouldn't even say it's really all that scientific. And so, mm-hmm. and, and the reason they say that, and I think it's smart, they cover their ass. And also on the other side of it is that they do look at, understand that it is a single data point and it has to be repeated over and over and over again to basically combat that dog. But yeah, but yeah. yeah it's it, it's funny how there is so much scientific literature on industrial size brewing but once you get down to a home brewing level and the scale of home brewing there's almost nothing and yeah and yeah but when we look at brewing over the ages of humanity home brewing scale is probably the scale most people have brewed beer for the the length of humanity in general so kind of kind of funny when you think about all of that (laughs) yeah 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 no it's true i mean you know, in, in in my field, and I guess in 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 most other fields, really, and probably in the, in the brewing field as well. I mean, you know, the brewing research, a lot of it is basically, you know, aimed at at industrial scale because that's that's where the money could be coming from. You know, new discoveries yeah. made that apply to industrial scale brewing will have you know will have its attractions. So so yeah, so there isn't really there isn't really a platform for it. I mean, I I, I do think there's opportunities, right? But I, I do think there are opportunities when people start organizing on the community level. So, for example, in the U.S., in the U.S., you have the councils when it comes to crops, for example. So you have lots of soybeans that are being grown in the U.S. or in, in, in a particular state. So there's the soybean council, and the soybean council then gets money from all those farmers, which they then hand out to, to researchers that study a particular problem in soybean. That's a model that could work when it comes to brewing. So if there's homebrewers, a large enough group of homebrewers that say, you know, I want this problem addressed and they organize 
and pull their you know pull their money for somebody to actually do the research then in principle it can be done yeah. but without yeah. it it's small beans for 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 researchers and not maybe attractive enough to to really tackle the other possible route would be to actually go to 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 those suppliers you know when it comes to the yeast supplies for example if it's a yeast issue you know, you know the companies, the big companies, and <laughs> I'm not going to name them, that supply yeast to everybody, basically. And it's possibly the same for, for the malters, you know, the malt producers or the grain producers. If there's enough pushback from the community, again, and I think that, you know, needs some organization, I guess. But as long as there's enough pushback for a company to say, oh, wait, look, this is important. We need to address this. Then it will be done. Yeah, I think that that's a very good point when it comes to the 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 levers people can pull as a group to get scientific information because obviously people would think that there's a need and want for that research obviously funding is a big piece of it yeah 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 research isn't free and that's just kind of the deal and and the idea would be if somebody sees that it's economically viable it happens right yeah so, yeah yeah Let's talk a bit about some of the articles you write. I think recently you you wrote some articles about things such as harvesting yeast in your backyard and and streaking <laughs> out different plates and and methods of of doing these types of very instructional stuff. Also mm-hmm. very scientifically geeky kind of I would call it lab level style kind of science, right? What would you say if I were a home brewer and I wanted to get out there and wrangle some yeast myself what what would be the process to do some stuff like that all right well i guess i guess question number one is you know where would you look where would you look for yeast so there's different ways of doing that so yeast you know as, as everybody will know it, it likes it likes glucose like sugar so so there's some obvious places where you could look for for yeast you know you could look for flowers you could fruits ripe fruits i mean grapes obviously and dried fruits are very good sources of yeast if you want to isolate them essentially what you'll have to do is, is sort of is sort of just grow them in this media they 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 like so you plunk it into into a tube that has the right media a glucose rich source of of food you allow them to grow and what you end up with is a, is a very complex mix of different different organisms there will be bacteria in there there will be yeasts in there different types of yeasts uh, fungi possibly um, and then what, what the next step is, at least the step that I use, is to is to essentially separate them out. <clears throat> so some of the work I do there and I describe is basically how you can take samples from your from your cultures, your very sort of basic complex cultures, try to streak them out such that they become single cells, single single yeast cells, and grow them into into pure into pure cultures. So once you have those pure cultures, and we call those pure cultures colonies or single colonies, essentially, you can you can pick those and, and grow them in, in new media, and grow them up into 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 proper starters for you to test whether they can convert glucose into alcohol and you know whichever other interesting flavors that that come with it. So yeah, I, I think initially the point I wanted to make with the experiments, the first ones I've done, is basically to show that it's possible that you can get yeast from nearly everywhere. I had these sort of I was fortunate enough to be in lockdown with my daughter, so that my daughter actually helped me pick flowers. So it was sort of a fun science project for her to to tag along to do it. But yeah, no, I guess I guess the point was to show that, you know, given the right environment, yeast will thrive and, and, and you'll be able to get some. And and grow some for your 
for your pleasure, for your brewing pleasure. Yeah, let's talk about getting some of these cultures and, and some of the sources. Obviously, you just mentioned flowers. There's obviously tons of different sources. There's yeast everywhere in the air. And yeah. we, I took a breath, and in that breath, I probably sucked in some yeast, right? So yeah. it, it, let's talk about some places where you would recommend getting these cultures if you, if I were... I mean, the winter probably pretty tough, but say spring, summer, fall, where would be some good places to get some of these cultures? I would say, uh, I would say some good open pollinating flowers. So basically, pollinating flowers that that really attract lots of bees, uh, because those bees like to carry around those pollen, cross pollinate, and those flowers tend to create a lot of nectar as well. So the sugary stuff that yeast essentially likes. So because of the open flower architecture, the nectar in it, yeast, when it falls in, uh, it will start to grow. And, and, and there's some competition there as well. So, the, you know, the most successful ones, the fastest grows, growing ones are the ones you can easily, easily get. So, yeah, so I, I guess flowers, fruits are the, are the obvious sort of, sort of places. Then what you could consider doing as well is using different types, different types of, of, of plants. So, you know, you could use, for example, barley or wheat. You know, for wheat flowers, different types of flowers you can isolate from, you know, berries, I mean, you name it, basically, you know, whatever you like. If you see nice flowers that look attractive, you could, you could essentially try it. I guess what's important to sort of mention is the places I try to stay away from, because I think that's important too. So what I've done in my experience is really try to stay away from, from areas that, that are being sprayed with, with fungicides. So if you're, if you're close to crop fields, and farmers are spraying fungicides to get rid of fungi, it'll hit, it may hit yeast as well. So that's, that's how you can get rid of, at least that's how I try to get rid of or, or increase my chances of, of getting, getting yeast. And I guess then the other thing is, you know, what are the things I would like to try? So I'm a plant pathologist, I'm a plant molecular biologist with an interest in, in pathogens. And there are some interesting concepts in plant pathogen interactions that deal with selection and competition. And the idea is that pathogens in general are specialized and have evolved to, to compete with, with plants and be infectious. So if you were to translate that uh, into a breeze, uh, in a, in a brew isolation, yeast isolation setting, what I would like to try, for example, is try to go for environments where I know the substrate and the food for the yeast has been, allowed, has been around for a long time, but there's repeated competition. So one of the things I want to try, for example, is to get yeast from honeydew from aphids because that's a very sugary substance i'm sure there will be some yeast associated with with aphids and they have a very sort of multi-cyclic reproduction cycle so so the yeast will have to be around for a long time and has to go for this competition for a long time so so that's one of the things i'd like to try in the coming spring It's, it's winter here now but in spring and summer i would really like to try and see whether i can i can get something from uh, from aphids and their their behinds <laughs> That's awesome. And let's talk a bit about now you've collected a culture and you're trying to isolate it down to a single colony. What would that look like? You mean the actual, the actual isolation procedure? That exactly. Okay. So, so what we do when we isolate yeast or when I try to separate out yeast is I use solid plates. So what you have to imagine, there are small dishes, small flat dishes 
where I use a substance that pretty much is like wort, but then has a solidifying agent. So you heat it up, you, you pour it out, and it becomes a flat sort of flat surface. And then you can use these special, well, just straws in a way that you can uh, use to simply streak around or streak onto, streak onto the plate. So what I do in essence is I basically stick uh, you know, a straw into my suspension that has lots of different organisms, take it out, and then I dip it onto the plate and just streak it in one single or two, two streaks in one direction. So what that does, it basically takes a whole lot of different organisms and just smears them onto one particular, again, small portion of, of the first streak that I made. And when you a small sub of the original population that you had, and you streak that out again over a new area of the plate. And that you, is a process you can repeat two or three times, so you get like streaks. And what happens is what what you end up with is essentially four or <clears throat> is individual cells that are streaked out and separate. So uh, you can't see those. You can't see those cells. But when you incubate, them. those cells is colony in such an isolated colony you essentially know that you've isolated a single a single cell so then the next step is okay is to essentially look at the plate and say okay well what do you does it look like a yeast or not and there's different ways of doing it so the yeast colony itself will have a particular morphology that makes it look like yeast or that you can recognize you can stick it under a microscope and see whether it looks like like a yeast or not and of course you can grow it you can grow it individually in 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 liquid in small small volumes see whether it grows and see whether it produces any alcohol so simply by by sniffing it some of them will be very very nice make very nice alcoholic smells others are just you know plain foul and sour yeah <laughs> <laughs> for example all yeah. the bad things and yeah no it's amazing it's you know that's 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 really what i that's that's really what i sort of appreciate you know being a biologist you know is, is such diversity out there and i guess that's I, th I think that's something that that the community is sort of missing out on you know we all go to our all go to our uh, suppliers and get these nice packaged pure cultures we can we, you know it's, it's possible to do it yourself but try completely completely different uh different strains that basically come from your own back garden or come from some place you've been hiking you know in in the summer or the spring or the fall so no i think it's a i think it's a great it's a great pastime and thing to try and, and so talking a bit about the medium, you use like a, an agar medium. Is that normally what you're using? It depends where I am. So, so if I were to be in a lab, in my lab where I work, I would use defined media. So there, you know, there's, there's the typical yeast extract, peptone, dextrose, agar plates that, that, that we use. And that's what researchers use in general for their science. At home, I simply make a wort. I just make a use dry mold and you know boil it in some water stick some agar in it to one one and a half percent and then boil it let it solidify or pour it let it solidify and that's what i use i bought some glass petri dishes 
from the web. Yeah, you can almost find everything on the web these days. And yeah, just do it at home. And one of the things that you mentioned there was when you're isolated out a colony, a lot of it can be done with just visual inspection. You're not having to get an entire microscope out there and check it out. So what are some of the things that, you know, this is bacteria versus this is yeast. What what are some of the telltale signs you're looking for if you're looking at colonies? Yeah, so so I guess yeast uh, yeast has a more of a sort of an off white color. So lots. Of, so when you look at bacteria, for example, a lot of the air contaminants. So if you have air contamination, lots of times those colonies are yellow. Bacterial col- uh, colonies tend to be sort of slimy, whereas if you look at, at yeast colonies, they 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 look a little bit more more grainy and dry if you will, when you look on the plate. Then there's other stuff that you may encounter. You also may encounter sort of you know, stuff that looks like, like little threads growing onto your plate. And these are filamentous, uh, filamentous fungi that you don't really, really want, all the way up to sporulating sp- fungi. But I haven't shown pictures of those in my, in my articles. It's mostly bacteria that I deal with. But yeah, if you see lots of slime, if you see lots of slimy mucusy, colonies and smears that's that's most likely bacteria okay and then obviously you you talked about then you hey this could be yeast and the word we're going to use is could be and then you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna take a little a little single colony out maybe take it into like 10 mils of wort and like a test tube shake it up start growing it from there and if it starts to actually really reproduce and go nuts and it, you're you're going to know pretty quickly whether it's alcohol producing, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you you see it quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it, it, it's it's a process I've done in the past as well, and I've made some really stinky ones. I've made some really good ones. So it's 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 you know it's a mixed bag, but that but that's all kind of the fun of the process, right? <clears throat> like one of my favorite yeasts I've ever had was actually given to me from a friend where he had taken a swab off of a peel of a pear, right? And yeah. he and he called it his house yeast because he had grown it up and isolated it out. And this thing was a amazing flavored yeast. It, it was very Saison-like. It was, it was definitely yeast, not bacteria, but had a really, really unique flavor that I can't obviously describe because it, it, it's kind of its own thing. And I made a few beers out of that because he just gave me a small slant and I, I grew them up and, and made beers out of it. And it was a very, very fun yeast to play with, though. And, yeah. and these are the kind of things that you just... The, there's an entire world of this that people don't understand is out there. And it, it, it to me, is something that is a very intriguing part of beer and, and probably why your articles really, really drive home for me personally. But the idea yeah. is that uh, I, I agree with you when it comes to, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm into Kvike right now. I'm into the cool new isolated yeasts out there that you're getting from the yeast labs. I'm, I'm also into that as well because yeah. there is science behind it that kind of can tell you, hey, this, this actually started off with six different strains of yeast in it. We've isolated two out. These two are clean. Let's there's also that process that I'm very fascinated with, but the mm. wild process to me is also just as fascinating because this is what's floating around. This is what we're making sourdough starters out of. This is what we're making kombuchas out of. This is what we're making so many other fermented foods out of in the entire world. Yet people don't really say, Hey, you could apply this to beer. And so 
one of the things that people also have I, I don't see a lot of are using things like fermented foods to ferment beer. Is that also a process that you can use to kind of maybe kickstart a wild fermentation? You mean using using isolated yeast for food fermentation? No. So like, for example, let's say I got a batch of kombucha. Obviously, we know it's a symbiotic bacteria and yeah. yeast culture, right? Uh, let's yeah. say I want to do a wild fermentation of beer, get the sugar content high enough. Could you just throw a little tab of, of some, some kombucha in there and it, would it turn into to beer? Or? <laughs> well, it's, it's, like, it's like anything else that you, that you isolate and you test. You know? Some will be good, some will be bad. So yeah, some, some, some of your beers may turn out to be great and produce alcohol. Others, others, others may not. I mean, that's, I guess, is the, yeah, it's, it's what's simply hard to, hard to predict. Yeah. That's, the, that's always the million dollar question. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. But yeah, but if you wanted to take the scientific approach, then, then yeah, you would take the approach that I, you know, I suggested is to sort of separate them out and see, see what's in there. Yeah. Because even, even if you get, if you get the yeast, if you get a kombucha or, or a fermented veg, you know, and you taste it and, and it tastes fantastic. You know what you have to keep in mind is you know you, you're going to stick your yeast in a completely different medium. You're going yes. to expose your yeast to a completely different environment. It's going to respond differently, uh, and it may make completely different uh, different substances. So it's hard to yep. it's hard to know beforehand. And so the a good method would be hey take a small thing of 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 some wort, yeah, couple hundred mils, throw inoculate it with some of that, let it build up and smell it taste it, it yeah. t- tastes yeah. like crap probably not <laughs> probably not worth moving forward if it tastes really good make a beer <laughs> <laughs> if it tastes like crap age condition it <laughs> yes that that Condition- is always the answer isn't it Conditioning is is there. <laughs> it's amazing what time will do to a stinker well i mean i i, I remember making uh, making a mistake with with one of my beers and i just had a uh, I just had too much chocolate malt in my in my calculations, so I ended up with a very hoppy chocolatey beer. It's more like you know, like a heavy stout chocolate ale, but then with lots of lots of hops in it. And yeah, the first you know, the first time it was ready to go after two weeks of of after bottling, it just you could just you tasted it and you could just feel them fighting <laughs> in your mouth, like the chocolatey heavy flavor with the with the hops. So I, I really didn't enjoy it, so I left it. So I just, you know, I just made another brew, another one afterwards, and we finished those. And at some point, it came winter time, we were out of beer, and I was like, "Hey, let's try this one." And and it was just amazing how the flavors had mellowed. It was just a wonderful combination of a very sort of mellowy stout with a very sort of nice hoppy undertone, but uh, perfect harmony. It's amazing how time and conditioning, specifically wild fermentation beers, I think time really does a lot for them. Mm, Uh, I I had a, a, and it was actually a cider that a friend and I had done with with an inoculation of a farmhouse strain. And we drank it pretty young and it tasted like literally the smell of a horse blanket was the flavor of this beer, but like strong, not... Not in a good way. It was like, I, I remember drinking it. We'd had a few. I went to yeah. sleep and I woke up in the middle and I was like, man, I could still taste that beer. Like, it's not good. <laughs> Can't believe I drank it. But then I gave it a year in the bottle and went back to it. And it was a delicious beer. 
and it, it, yeah. it, it had turned into something just unique and delicious and amazing and all it took was time and so the bulk aging process when it comes to all strains of beer lagering to i, I think the 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 beers that come to mind that you want to drink as fresh as possible are IPAs because obviously you use some loose hop character. But when it comes yeah. to beers that are very yeast driven, and I think that's the way to put it, it's tasting the change over time can be an experiment in itself because there's a yeah. life cycle happening in there. Yeah no, yeah, yeah. no matter how fast or slow it happens, it just is happening. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, let's yeah, talk no, about. An, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's actually one of the one of the problems I'm studying. So, so as you know, so as part of the newsletter, there's various subscription options. One of the paid subscription options is to actually get in touch with me and try to figure out what problems are and try to solve problems. So I'm working with one brewery right now, who is actually having the problem of the beer going off. So it goes into the bottle just fine, and then after some time, it starts to to really taste taste weird so that's that's one of the things we're um working on at the moment so yeah it can go both ways i guess but it, but it's it can go the chemistry both ways. The, the chemistry is just uh yeah it's so complex but intriguing it is and, and yeah. let's let's talk a bit about the newsletter so yep. for example if i wanted to find your newsletter where would i find it well it's a substack newsletter at the moment so you could find it at uh, beercollection.substack.com I can give you the link. That's where the biologist is. I'm on Twitter as well, and I have a link on my Twitter. And yeah, we're at the moment. I'm, I'm working on building a website for it as well for for my blog. I made a, I made a decision to to go more to take a more formal route, if you will. So I I guess I guess especially now with Corona, being at home, being facing the challenges that we do, I felt it's really important to sort of set myself a new challenge for for the before the third wave strikes <laughs> and uh, you know and that essentially is to really is to really try and build it into something that is uh, valuable to people uh, so they can they can read they can they can ask questions interact with me that's the thing i like the most really about about the newsletter is the the questions that you get the comments that you get the queries the problems that people have that you try to fix so yeah so i'm so i'm building a building a website um trying to expand the subscription model and yeah put trying to put great articles out there that 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 are interesting to people, that are interesting to brewers. Excellent. I will put links in the show notes to his, oh, his Substack fantastic. so that people can track you down. I'll also link to your Twitter so that people can follow you there as well. Though, cool. though I yeah. will admit, Twitter is not my strong suit. It, it's definitely, when you, when you look at my following as a podcaster, I, 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 Twitter is not my nut to crack. I, don't, I, I, do, I do good everywhere else. Twitter is just not my thing. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm using counter social as well which is sort of like Twitter. Yeah. But I found the the audience way way more friendlier and receptive. The only thing is that the brew community there I think is quite it's quite small. But yeah, no there's definitely better better platforms out there where where there's a lot of interest. Also, if if you hop onto my onto my Discord server, Edcurd pops in there every now and again. I wouldn't say he's he's there every day, but if if he's if he's if he's looking around, he he he's that that's actually where we met was on my Discord server. So kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it, yes, if you if you will go over to my website, homebrewingdiy.beer, click on the join the discussion tab, and that'll pull you right into my Discord server. And and he is also one of the users there. But yeah, I I 
really appreciate you taking the time to come on Homebrewing DIY. I, this was a wonderful conversation and, and really fun to talk scientifically about beer. And, you know, if, if you ever want to come back, please let me know. I'd love to have you back. Specifically, if you come out with a topic that you really want to push here. So love to have you. And uh, yeah, no, uh, no problem whatsoever. And again, I really enjoy connecting with uh, with the brewers out there, no matter what level in which tier you're in, whether it's professional or or, or home brewer. I very much enjoy interacting with uh, interacting with people um, about their brewing. So yeah, pay me a visit. Glad to uh, glad to chat whenever. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right, and welcome back. I think that for our feedback section, we're just going to, and it's going to be pretty short today. Pretty much all I have right now is we are going to do a quick review that I was left this week about the podcast. And I'm going to read that and then we'll just wrap this puppy up. So first thing we're going to do is talk about a review that was written to us by the blind brew guy. I, I'm actually really happy about this review. I, I've followed Blind Brew Guy on Instagram for some time, and and we've interacted a few times, and just always great to see him write us a review. So this is the review he wrote. He gave us a five-star review, and he said, the episodes cover a wide variety of topics and interesting guests. Very helpful for a beginner as well as more advanced brewers. Keep it up. And it's always exciting for me to read a new review because... These are the things that help others find the show. And as well, just thank you so much for the kind words. It, it really, really means a lot to me and helps me understand that, hey, you know, it's worth the hard work. So if, if you want to write us a review, head on over to Apple Podcasts or podchaser.com. I'm glad to read your review here on the air. Also, if you have feedback for the show or a question, this is the section for it. We will read them. Head over to homebrewingdiy.beer use the contact form or you can just shoot us an email to podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer either way i'll get the information and we'll read it on the air well other than that let's wrap this show up I'd like to thank Eggert for taking the time to come on this week's show. I think we had a really cool conversation. Science and beer are just two things that really get me going. So definitely a, a very, very fun episode and exciting episode for me. Head on over to homebrewingdiy.beer. Look in the show notes. I'll have links to all of Edgar's stuff, his Substack, as well as his Twitter account. And you can reach out if you have a question for him. He's always excited to hear from other hood brewers. So check it out. And as always, if you want to follow the show on social media, you can head on over to at homebrewingdiy, all one word. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just give us a search and give us a follow. Always love talking to everyone on all of our socials. Well, that's it for this week. And we'll talk to you next week on Homebrewing DIY.